City, City Limits. Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City, City Limits. Limits. Okay, and when Meg sits down from dancing to around the studio to that particular <laughs> song, we'll be... Uh, oh, she's sat down. She's there. There she is. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> I love dancing to that one. I have a dream to change the theme song. What do you think, Kevin? What song Ooh, could we have whatever instead? Whatever you think. Well, the other one, the alternative is the um, Joni Mitchell one. Isn't there an Australian one about taxi. cities? Isn't there any song by an Australian well, probably, artist? There probably are, but they were the ones that just stood out when we played that I mean, all those big, years ago. I love Joni Mitchell, so we could do it. <laughs> Yeah, we could whack in the Joni Mitchell one instead. I mean, it's the same theme. It's yep. tearing up mm-hmm. gardens and, mm-hmm. and suburban things for, for freeways and all. Yeah, true. So that's it. Um, so we can, yeah, we could do that. This is City Limits. It's the fourth Wednesday of the month. We've got a fifth Wednesday next week too, and yep. that's already booked out. Yeah. Gosh, we're just tell, having to turn people away. Oh, we are. I I tell, well, no, today actually one of our interviews has fallen through, so I've only got okay. one interview. Yeah, well, so. yeah. <laughs> it was to be as he corrected. moves away from the microphone. But no, 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 because uh, I was organising today and it fell through. You've done next week and you've got two, two guests. Oh, yeah, I know, but yeah. <laughs> you want a cup of tea on the top of all that? I'll have a cup of things. Radio. We got straight, this is just straight green tea today. All right, sounds good. I'll and just for the listeners to get really excited about, do you want the one that says premium coffee and a, and a brand on it or the <laughs> one that has the flowers? I want the premium coffee, please. Okay, you get the premium coffee. It's all about the shape of the mug for me. Right. That's there how you I, are. Oh, okay. I didn't realise they were the same shape. Okay. Yeah, that's right. oh. Yes. <laughs> So next week, I've got a couple of people talking about pedestrian safety and walkability of cities and um, how urban design affects the way that we move around in cities. So that will be the show next week. Right. That sounds really interesting. Actually. I think it will be interesting. It's we a, often say that, but it yeah, does. Yeah. yeah. I actually am genuinely sort of interested in this because it, uh, the way that cities are designed makes a big difference about your health and how you connect to other people and how much time you spend walking or cycling or taking public transport. So, yep, yeah. and and particularly not just because we tend to all live in a urban, but mm-hmm. once you get out to the suburbs, it becomes even more important. Exactly, yeah. Many people just, and also for health and, and all sorts of things. Absolutely. Yeah, um, of course, the other advantage of being out there is they often have more parks and trees and things, but they don't, okay. they don't always, but they often do. So that's yeah. that's an advantage, but I think yeah. there, are, there are advantages both ways, clearly. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can talk about that next week. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be talking to Sheridan Tate today on the program in the last half, and mm-hmm. Sheridan is one of the people involved in the... Um, the anti, uh, anti-toxic anti waste alliance out in the western suburbs, which has arisen out of all those fires last year. Mm-hmm. And so we'll talk to her about developments this week because the EPA has finally claimed they've cleaned up and sorted out the site on the fire brigade, I think, is involved as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and But they still say they don't know what's in a lot of the stuff. There's stuff there they still don't know what's in it. I mean, it's quite amazing. Mm. This is a, you know, it's, what, it's well over a year now since that West Footscray fire. Mm. Um so we'll talk about that. There's also um, a report a few weeks ago now, but a report, and we'll talk to Sheridan about it, that 
that even before these fires, the EPA was war- was giving people notice that the inspectors were coming. So when the inspectors turned up, there was nothing to see. I mean, it's mm. just ridiculous. Uh, Who so did the, the report? Do you know? Uh, the report was a... It was part of an inquiry. The, the uh-huh. state government's holding an inquiry. Uh-huh. Um, a bloke called Caesar Mellon, I think his name is XWU official, okay. um, is is chairing it, and that's going to bring down its report pretty shortly. Actually, okay. um, interesting. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but it, this was part of the hearings going on that um, it was pointed out that the EPA was the EPA says, oh, most of them weren't given notice, but you know they often, but why they give notice at all? I've got no bloody idea. Mm, well, yeah. Uh, why would you? Um, yeah, anyway. and I mean, the the SKM situation with the recycling um, closing down, you know, and, and all of the uh, recycling going to waste during that time. I read, and I'm not sure if this is correct, but I read somewhere that the that a lot of the waste, I don't know whether it was SKM or another other organisations, had rented land and then were using that land to dump the waste on. And then when the business folds... The landowners are responsible. McCourt with the yeah that that yeah. happened that was happening as well, and in fact on that of course since we interviewed uh, Helen Vandenberg the activist out there last week again about the telemarine toxic waste dump and Clean Away is the company involved there which mm-hmm. is you know we we would argue is doing nowhere near enough to clean up the site yeah and this this week it was announced that it has bought SKM so Clean Away is now running SKM and going to restart it and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. But um, given its track record... Um, they felt yeah. optimistically that they could take on one of the hardest challenges yeah. currently in so Victoria. We'll, we'll mention that to Sheridan as well and yeah. we'll see just what reaction we get there as well. Mm. So that's uh, that's our interview today. But before then, we're going to talk about a number of things. Mm. And uh, I just want to... Perhaps we could kick off with um, our well-known mate, the Herald Sun. Oh, yeah. That sounds um, great. Because this was an interesting story. Um, Alicia Alonso died last week. She was a, a famous Cuban dancer, ballerina and choreographer. Yeah. Uh, and she began her life, well she, she started in Cuba, uh, but then she, she also worked for a long time in America, in New York in the 40s. And now this is a Herald Sun report about her death, Cuba's ballet matriarch dies. Yeah. Alicia Alonso, the revered ballerina and choreographer whose nearly 75 year career made her an icon of artistic loyalty in Cuba's socialist system, hmm. has died aged 98. As founder and director of the National Ballet of Cuba, Alonso personified the island's arts program under Castro's rule, etc. Says communist rule, of course, as they like to say, mm. not capitalist rule when it's arts <laughs> in America. Uh, but then it's in New York in the 40s and 50s, Alonso was one of the earliest members of the company that became the American Ballet Theatre. She was recognised the world over for the stylized beauty of her choreography and was named Prima Ballerina Asoluta, mm. the rarely bestowed highest honour in dance. The, but then, then you get the, fi- the final sentence. I mean, it's classic Herald Sun. Yeah. The final sentence is sort of the stab in the back. Uh. Uh, but Alonso also drew criticism for her long-time support of Castro's government. <laughs> <laughs> like, why would you mention that for a start? I mean, we know why, because they're the Herald Sun and they tackle you those sort of things. You can't let anyone thinking anything good ever no, came out of right. anything communist. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so just so, uh, just like, to be clear. Oh my they God. whipped that one in. Oh, that's so sad. Mm. 
Well, she sounds absolutely fantastic. And I was talking to Joan Coxhead yesterday, an old activist and who um, also has been a member of the Australian Cuba Friendship Society for okay. many, many years. Yeah. And she actually saw her on stage because wow. Joan's 87 now as well. I mean, wow. that doesn't remind me telling her age on you. Um, and um, she saw her. I mean, she said because she did come back from America yeah. uh, after the you know, revolution, yeah. etc., she was absolutely revered in Cuba. You know, yeah. none, of, none of this, um, the last paragraph there, but in yeah. fact in Cuba she was seen as absolutely revered yeah. because she came back and worked and contributed to the Cuban society. Where did your friend uh, see her? Uh, in Cuba. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. God, that would have been amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, so there you are. Yeah. Um, now another one from the Herald Sun. This is, this is just one about, well, I, I want to talk about the story itself, but it's one of those headlines that could, could mean a, two or three things and the way things are written. Like this could read, travel agent cops ad fine, like it was approved. You know, someone uh-huh. complained about this ad about cops, but it, uh, it was approved. <laughs> you know, travel agent cops ad fine. Okay, yeah. But then the other, of course, is travel agent cops ad fine. <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> Which is what the story is. <laughs> Nothing to do with cops at all, really, oh. except, someone, except someone fingered them, I suppose. Okay. Um, flight centre has paid $252,000 in penalties after being accused of running potentially misleading advertisements promoting holiday vouchers during Christmas and Easter. The Consumer Watchdog issued Australia's biggest travel agency with two infringement notices over ads that offered $250 vouchers to customers who spent $1,500 on a holiday package. Mm. The Australian Competition and Consumer Commission believed the advertisements were liable to mislead, and boy, were they. Hang on, wait till you see what happens. <laughs> Alleging Flight Centre failed to adequately disclose, split infinitive, that another holiday worth more than $5,000 had to be booked to redeem the voucher. Oh. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, dear me. $5,000 holiday. Yeah, even above what you, you know, got, so you yeah. Yeah. Thought you'd won, but you really hadn't. Yeah, right. Um, which brings us, speaking of flight centre and um, and flying and airlines and yeah. things like that, um, the airlines themselves are complaining. Now, these are people who, um, well, we'll go, might come to that, but they're complaining about the exorbitant cost for food, drinks and services at Melbourne Airport and other terminals. And, of course, we know a few years ago the federal government privatised the airports. And right. So you, you created... A uh, you created a private sector monopoly. Did they uh, privatise all the airports in pretty much I Australia? Think, yeah, pretty much. Mm. Um, and they're privately owned now, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it was hard, you know, it was hard to imagine at the time. No one thought that if you create an airport, <laughs> the one airport in the one big airport in the city with a private monopoly, that yeah. maybe they'll prices will rise. Um, I mean, you couldn't have no, guessed, no, really. No. Yeah. So, the last thing, because they told us it was going to be more efficient. Yeah, yeah As we yeah. know. Yeah. I mean, we and know it's yeah. more efficient because private yeah. sector. Uh-huh, exactly. Uh, and they point out, the story points out all the bloody, um, the prices of various things like coffee, etc. But of course, what the airlines are really complaining about is they also charge them exorbitant rates now to use the airport. Oh, you know? okay. So that's what they're really carrying on about. Yeah, right. They don't give a stuff about the other people, but they, they make, you know, they use the old excuse that it's affecting the public. Oh uh, yeah, um, and the air, the airlines, the airports themselves now have hired a, a former judge 
um, Ray Finkelstein, former federal court judge, to argue on their behalf that really they're, you know, they're not and argue because there's an inquiry going on. Oh. And um, to argue that it has to be a light-handed approach and not regulation, etc., to force oh. them to lower their prices. Um, okay. And so there's a real battle taking place at the moment. Um, the, the airlines claim airports charge excessive fees and reap super profits and the consumers bear the brunt of high airport charges, which they really care about. Now, it goes it's on and on. There's a battle between you know one private lot versus yeah. another. Yeah. But it's interesting because the airlines say, well, isn't it terrible? They're ripping off. They Price gouging is the term the airlines are mm. using about these terrible people. The other week, the first week of the footy finals here in Melbourne, mm. when the fixture was finalised and some people from Melbourne had to go to Perth and go to you know go around mm-hmm. the country and people from there had to come here. I have a feeling I know where this is going. Yes, would, <laughs> would you believe that the prices for those airfares for that weekend went up by about four times overnight? What? No. Yes, yes, yes. It's hard to believe, isn't must it? must just be a coincidence. <laughs> yes, yeah, so just yeah. just a sheer fluke that that was yeah. the weekend the footy was on, yeah. So, uh. um, oh, so the, you know, they're... They're, uh, they deserve each other, don't yeah, they? They're, the they're, they're the treading in wick, quicksand, I suggest. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's, uh, I'm going to have a sip of tea now. Hang on. Mm. From this, I got the cup with the flowers. It's beautiful. It's Lovely. wonderful. Yes, it's very good. Now, also, the, the private sector, like they own airlines and they own airports and they own everything that moves. And mm-hmm. the federal government, the state government, and we'll talk about this as one of the time we mentioned it last week in passing, mm-hmm. wants to flog up heaps of public land in the next few years, etc. Yes. You know, that we need to. There's a know. listener who'd like to get more yeah. details. Ah, right. right. Well, yeah. there you are. Mm-hmm. Well, we, well, actually, that was going to be the other interview today, but it fell through. Oh, so. about the private land. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, next uh, time. Next time. Yeah. Um, well, certainly not next week, but mm. next maybe next. next housing day or whatever. Yeah. Um, now, there's a, the smart investor section of the financial review. Uh, Wednesday last week, there's a bloke gives you advice on what's good things to, uh, to advise, and he goes on about the state of the market at the moment and everything else, and then mm. he goes on to what you really should get into. Mm. And here we go again. Um, you know, public, public services don't matter. They, it's, it's whether they make money or not. One sector that many investors don't consider is health care. The sector possesses many defensive qualities plus the bonus of strong underlying growth via global reach and innovation. This makes it an excellent sector not only to be exposed to when the bulls are running hard but also when things are uncertain. The healthcare sector covers areas ranging from hospitals, auxiliary services such as diagnostics and aged care, pharmaceuticals through to technology. To understand why it is considered a defensive sector, one need not look beyond the numbers. Spending on health services by Australians in 2016-17 was $181 billion or 10% of all gross domestic product, according to the Department of Health. This amount is expected to increase and it is not hard to see why the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare tells us that although a record 15% or 3.8 million of our population is 65 or over, and it goes on about how that's going to grow and across the world people are going to get older and older, so I'll leave the, I'll skip over all that. Yeah. The positive of course is we are all living longer and finding new ways to cure a widening list of ailments and diseases. From an investment perspective, there are other benefits such as Patent protection, government subsidies, they were important, don't mm-hmm. they? Get the government pay for it. Regulatory protection, global expansion potential, and inelastic, uh, over the page, inelastic pricing of health goods and services. In other words, given how essential the service is, the supplier can often charge a hefty price for the product. 
Isn't that wonderful? Wow. No, no mention of healthcare actually helping people be healthy. Wow. Just that it's a it's something you can invest in as he pours a bit. Do you want a bit more time? I'm gonna no, I'm gonna pop out and buy some shares. Ah, right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> in a pharmaceutical company. Good I, no, good idea. Those, in, those inelastic prices. Yes, that's right. You that's, can't beat them. No, no, no. Mm. Bloody wonderful. Mm. Um and while we're on that, um and government helping out, uh last week. Uh, Transurban, our old mate that builds freeways mm-hmm. and things, they were actually on a program here on 3CR where they talked about their contribution to the environment and I thought that was pretty interesting. But anyway, um, the, the, um, the chairman of Toll Road Operator Transurban, this is a bloke called Lindsay Maxstead, I don't know if you've heard of Lindsay, but he's, he's, nah. he's a big businessman. He's, he's head of uh, Transurban. He's also chairman of Westpac and he's a director of BHP. So he's, No conflict of interest, though. No, he's on the, he's on the side of the workers here completely. <laughs> and, and the, the, anyway, old Lindsay, he joined calls for the federal government. To, see, they, the private companies, and they were privatised, they privatised our roads, yeah. but they still want government help. It's called for the government to unleash a wave of infrastructure spending to stimulate Australia's economy, which has sagged to its weakest position, etc., etc. Um, he told the group that he did not believe Australia was approaching a recession short of a major global dislocation. However, he said the economy's sluggish state speaks to the need for an even greater injection in infrastructure investment to help stimulate growth. Now, why can't oh, they boy. spend it? Why has the government got to spend the money and not them? They end up owning the road. Yeah. Um, and, if they want um, people to spend money, why don't they get, like increase the wage of Newstart, the amount of Newstart that people get? People would have some money to spend. That would help a yeah. little, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah but you're, you're no. obviously missing something. Right? <laughs> I must so, be. I yeah, must be. Right. I don't know what. <laughs> you leap to these silly conclusions. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, no, anyway, he, he said the... Um, uh, even he, he quotes Blow, the head of the Reserve Bank, saying Australia should do more to stimulate growth by investing in major new projects, ordering maintenance of roads, railways and bridges. I would have thought if you own a road, you should be able to maintain it yourself without government paying for it. Oh, but anyway, it, it goes on and on, and um, you'll be pleased to know that he wants lots of money um, <laughs> from, the, from the government. Um, but it's a bit, bit sad. Transurban's chief executive Scott Charlton said the company was seeing softer economic conditions flow through to some of the traffic numbers. Average, oh. da- average daily traffic grew 1.8% in the three months to September, which is down from 3.3% in the same period last year. Max Dad was re-elected, etc. But I mean, what, so they're upset. They talk about their, they, how they care about the environment, but now they're upset because there's less cars on the oh road. Oh my gosh! Yeah, well, they're not less cars, but the growth is slower than it was. There's more cars, but they're not as many as they should be. More. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But having had all that come up with um, the. Uh, with uh, business desperately needing all this, yeah. at the other end of the scale, you'll be pleased to know again that there's, a, there's, an, in, there's a, an inquiry going on, and I think it's due to release about now. Actually, it might even be in today's papers. I haven't uh, haven't had a look at them, um, but there's inquiry into 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 poverty in Australia going on. Yep. And one in five Australians say they ran out of food at least once in the past year. One in five ran out of food once in the past year yeah. and were unable to buy more, according to a new report, with food charities pointing to an alarming 22% rise in people seeking emergency food supplies. Mm. Um, it's Food Bank. Yeah. Um, according to the Food Bank report, women are at greater risk of going hungry. It found 27% of women experienced food insecurity in the past year, compared to 18% 
subset of men, noting women are more likely to have experienced domestic violence and more likely to have raised children on their own for an extended period. But it's mm. awful bloody statistics. And it, That's it's, shameful. Yeah, I mean, this people probably saw there was in the age last week or before, but mm. uh, yeah, more, more than one in five, at least once a week, three in ten food insecure people go a whole day without eating at all. Mm. Children represent 22% of all food insecure Australians, so that's 22% of the 20%, I guess. Mm. Women are 1.5 times more likely to have gone hungry in the past 12 months. Um, the immediate causes, 49% experienced an unexpected bill or expense, 42% living on low income or pension, mm-hmm. and 34% had to pay rent, mortgage. Mm-hmm. Other factors are long-term unemployment, domestic violence, long-term single parenting, financial abuse. But while these mm-hmm. other people are screaming for government to give them money... Mm-hmm. Um, comes back to your point maybe maybe we should provide a bit more money for those yeah. who are at the bottom end of the scale oh boy especially yeah. the level of like the percentage of people's incomes mm. that are going to rent that's the thing like we talk about public housing on mm. the on our other shows once a month and it's not just public housing but the whole housing system is is not working clearly people are spending three quarters of their income or, you know, if there's like the report that showed that there was only two rentals in the whole of Australia that were affordable for someone yeah, on, on yeah. a new start allowance. These kind of things mean that people c- can't afford to live or if they have a roof over their heads, they can't afford anything else. No, no. There was a, on telly one night a couple of weeks ago, this inquiry that's going on into into poverty or into rental mm. or whatever, yeah. um, there was a bloke, a bloke, and he was obviously quite intelligent. He, he was, um, and he'd lost his job as a mm-hmm. journo, I think, maybe. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Yeah. It's a bit frightening for me. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> although I, I lost mine a few times. Um, he, uh, it's but he, they won't, they won't sack you from 3CR. He was saying, he, he was saying, um, oh, damn, that salary has gone as well. Um, the uh, He was saying that uh, after he pays the rent, which was, he has $15 a fortnight. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure you're getting, even getting rent. What sort of rent do you get for that sort of money now anyway? Exactly. I mean, um, but he, 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 and he's making the point, obviously, that he just he said it's totally unlivable. Um, it is. So, you know, $15 for everything else after he pays rent. It's not possible. Yeah. Like no. even your bills are more than that if you have electricity on oh, in your house. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It's impossible when you've got to eat. Well, you're supposed yes, to. I mean, you are supposed it, to. Well, at least it helps if you eat. And the the economy, like the employment opportunities, are so scattered now and so erratic. You know, that's the other factor that's playing into it. Is this idea that if you just work hard enough, you'll get a job, and it doesn't really work that way. Hmm. You jobs are less secure, and there's this whole, you know, economy of scarcity in a lot of industries that aren't like any industry that's not just blatantly for profit just as often really underfunded um, if it relies on funding or, you know, um, government funding or applications to, like, philanthropic trusts or something like that. All of those things are just scrabbling to kind of try to keep going. And so you have these insecure employments that are maybe like a six-month contract or a one-year contract, and then people, you know, private interests can make money out of that by having contractors that go in and, um, you know, work for... They, they have the ability to just work for three or four weeks, you know, send someone in as a contractor yeah. and then charge like 80, 80 bucks an hour while other people who could do that work and could have a permanent job 
can't do it because the organisations can't afford to pay. That's right. You know and, I mean? and many of those people underpay their workers anyway. Exactly. As, as we keep pointing out. Yeah. You know, so they're not, yeah. even though the pay is low, they often, <coughs> it's often lower than mm-hmm. what it's low. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. What ends up in your hand. Yeah. Which is um, bloody awful. Um, there was that story, of course, about the Andrews government flogging off lots of public land, and I, I found it interesting because um, other people have come out and you know, obviously said, well, this should be used for public housing. A lot of yeah. it's in the bush, but a lot of this yeah. should be used for public housing. And you know, we, we've talked over the years about how public land's flogged off, and there's one in my place I keep complaining about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, but then uh, the minister came out and said um, the state... Um, says all surplus land is considered for other uses, including public housing, and undergoes native title assessments before being put on the market. But I think being put on the market's the the point there. Like they <laughs> they might consider it, but then obviously nothing happens because they're yeah. not building any. Um, but we'll go into that in detail at some other time in yeah. a few weeks. But um, you know, it's just um, just outrageous that there's all this land and these people are screaming out for housing. What what is the land? for? Has it been reserved for kind a lot of, of its like old schools and various oh, okay. bits they've picked up? I mean, the Kennett yep. government sold off heaps of schools, and, yeah. and subsequent Labor governments did as well. Yep. And it's backfired because um, they said, "Well, I know in places like Albert Park, they said, well, there's no need. There's no fewer kids at that school, so they flogged off the school. Now they're spending a fortune to put another school there because yeah. young people have moved in and there's kids everywhere, yeah. and they need bigger. They need well, they don't need bigger schools. They need a school. Yeah, um, and crazy. so. Yeah, it's just they're now spending a fortune putting a school back where there was one. You know, it's just... Um, it's not like you'd look at Melbourne and be like, oh, it's probably just going to stay how it is or get smaller, is it? Mm. Like, it's obvious that it would have kept growing. Yes, yes, that's, that's right. crazy. And young people move into areas and believe it or not, they actually have children, or some oh. of them do, yeah. What? Yes, yes, they do. And those kids yeah. have to go to school? They do. They Well, they should. They well. should. Um, although with our, some of our schools, it's probably better they don't. Exactly. Um but uh, that's another question. The, the the government now, speaking of um, the government help for, um, you know, calling out for help for industry, well, yeah. industry is pleased with a couple of things this week, and it's good. Oh, good. Um, if, it, if it can only go ahead. Um, <laughs> some time ago, in fact, and um, uh, Martin Ferguson, who was, of course, a Labor um, left, he was in the left of the Labor Party, yeah. which says a lot for the left of the Labor Party. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, we know he... he, he He's been employed ever since he was Minister for Resources and Things yeah. in the resource industry. And he mm. called out long ago to, to get to, to, in fact, change the law so that when a, a new development, a new project is being set up, be it resource or any other sort of project, I guess, that you have an agreement at the start that lasts the whole length of it okay. rather than a four-year agreement. And okay. in four years, the poor employer is forced to negotiate with the union, etc. And it's awful for oh, the poor employer. I see. Yes. So now they're calling out, well, the government's decided it's going to do that. Oh, great. Yes, the federal government will move ahead with an industrial relations change that will set the same wages and conditions for the construction lifetime of new major projects. A move, it says, will improve investor certainty and lead off <sighs> And, and uh, head off costly industrial action. Oh, gosh. Um, they, they also say, and this is uh, Christian Porter, very Christian man, mm. uh, the government said the changes would prevent cases of agreements expiring mid-project and stop workers accessing protected industrial action to apply maximum pressure to employers for wages and conditions. I yeah. mean... It's obviously a sin to apply maximum mm. pressure or any pressure at all, I would have thought, yeah. when 
when adds, we, it adds a lot of uncertainty to the invest for the investors. It does indeed. The poor, yeah. but poor yeah, people. Yeah. <laughs> said something else. <laughs> and uh, and and uh, it's um, obviously anyway. I mean, workers wanting wages and conditions in itself seems to be a problem, doesn't it? I mean, well, you know. Yeah. It makes it harder. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But the Labor Party's thinking about it. Um, the unions are opposed to it. Um, mm. This, of course, follows the Labor Party this week supporting the um, government on the free trade agreements with Indonesia, Peru, and the third one. I can't remember what it was, but whatever it was. Yep. Um, the um, it was Hong Kong. The other one wasn't okay. Indonesia, Hong Kong, and uh, and Peru. Right. Uh, and the government caved in. Or the Labor Party, as usual, caved in and. Uh, and that's gone through, even though the ACTU is opposed to it and the unions are mm. opposed to it. And it, it maintains some of those clauses where governments can sue mm. uh, if we make changes. And in fact, um, Michelle O'Neill, the president of the ACTU, yesterday on Radio National made mm. the point, there's a, I can't think which country it was, but where uh, a company sued the government for damages because it, it introduced a higher minimum wage. Whoa. And the company said that affected its profits, and therefore it could sue the government. Uh, and that's the sort of thing that's in these in these agreements. Whoa. Um, so there's probably no wonder the the unions do oppose them. But anyway, they're also Why opposing. Why doesn't the Labor Party oppose them? Um, because it agrees with everything the government does now. <laughs> it's its new tactic to win government. Um, and oh, uh, and it's so it's gonna. I think it's saying at this stage it wants to look at this, but I think it will cave in. Yeah. The unions are opposed to it, um, but it's um, it's just uh, another attack on on workers and their their interests, which mm. is um, you know pretty good. Um, and um, but then the unions can be quite nasty about it. Dave Noonan from the CFMEU. He said, no one should be surprised that the Liberal Party would want to do the bidding of the big resource companies. It's oh. in their DNA. I mean, that's oh. a pretty nasty thing to say. Isn't oh. it? That's oh. pretty hurtful. Yeah. Um, but it, this is another terrible point he made. Um, you know, this is no logic in this. Mr Noonan said, this was no different to asking contractors and suppliers to lock in their prices for the life of a project. Are Australian consumers going to get gas prices locked in for five years for these projects, or will they float on the international market? Uh, <laughs> that's a really good point. I think we can all. I think we can all answer that. Yeah, um, yeah that's good. But no. But Tricia Tania Constable, you know, put him in his place. She's the chief executive of the Minerals Council. She said, allowing Greenfields agreements to cover the life of projects is a sensible reform that will stimulate new investment and jobs across Australia. See, that's what they're so all sensible. They, all they care about, that's right. Yeah. There are billions of dollars worth of potential resources projects being developed in Australia that will benefit from greater certainty and confidence. The reform will help Australian mineral companies fast-track the delivery of more highly paid, highly skilled jobs to regional communities. Oh, it's, it's oh, going to be wonderful. That sounds really good. It's utopia. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah, it's a beautiful future that they're oh, imagining. Absolutely. For the mineral councils and all the mining companies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah look, we'll take a break there with all that crap, oh, that, that interesting stuff. Yeah, and, fascinating uh, content. Yeah. <laughs> that brilliant content. Yeah. And uh, we'll, um, we'll get uh, Sherwood and Tate on the line to talk some sense. We might play a bit of music in the middle. Yeah, let's do it. Well, well I've actually bought in a CD. I've got this. I've got two songs called the same name for 
Um, ah. Yes, that's right. Okay. Um, but um, they're called for all we know. The second one, which we won't play, is by the, the Carpenters. It, it won an Academy Award from a film called, I think it was called Lovers and Other if Strangers. If we played that, we could have yeah. dedicated it to Eugenia because the Carpenters were her favourite band. Oh, were they? Right. Well, we yeah, might play so. it next week. Then yeah. we might play the other yeah. version next week. All right. But there's a first version. I think it's a beautiful song um, called For All We Know. And we're going to play a version by Dinah Washington once I get it out of my bag and give right. it to you. For 45 years, Friends of the Earth has been mobilising communities to resist the destructive industries like coal, gas, nuclear, and to transform our world into somewhere better. Come celebrate with us as we celebrate 45 years of creative resistance. 25th of October at the Gasometer, doors open at 8pm with a welcome to country at 9pm. The lineup includes Alicia Joy, Hello Tut Tut, Mortisville, Claddy, and more. You know it'll be fun because it's Friends of the Earth. See you there. You can get tickets online or at our famous food co-op at 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. Friends of the Earth are a proud supporter of 3CR. Looking to connect with your local community and do something rewarding? Well, volunteering to lead a neighbourly ride could be exactly what you're after. The short 40-minute group rides are for all ages and ride levels. Help people build their confidence, feel supported while safely exploring the local areas of Brunswick, Carlton, Fitzroy and Northcote by bike. Volunteers receive free ride leader training, so go to neighbourlyride.com to contact us about volunteering. A 3CR supporter.
song I think uh, Dinah Washington there a wonderful American jazz vocalist mm. some years ago now um, on the line we have another wonderful person we got Sheridan Tates here she's from the Anti-Toxic Waste Alliance and uh, we've talked to a number of people from there in the last few weeks um, Sheridan what, just as a, a passing thought um, last week we talked to Helen Vandenberg from you know, the western suburbs or the northwestern yeah, suburbs. Um, yeah. And um, Helen, of course, um, such an activist for so long, but she was talking about, yet again, many times she's talked on this program about it, the toxic waste dump at Tullamarine and the role of Clean Away in not cleaning away, I guess. <laughs> uh, interesting this yep. week that Clean Away has, has been announced as buying the... Um, the SKF, the uh, the SKM, I'm sorry, SKM, the uh, the company that went broke, the recycling place. That's another impact on your suburbs, I suspect. Yes, well, it definitely is. Um, so we don't know where we'll stand with that. Um, there's still issues with the sister side of SKM in Coolaroo, the glass recovery um, services that had an incident um, at their site on... Friday, um, where they had, um, they've got a massive um, glass stockpile. It's about three stories high. The glass residue there, so um, so that, that's still quite problematic for the community. Um, let alone if um, we're we're going to have um, SKM opened up again, whether it be at um, Coolaroo or any of the other sites. I know the Laverton site is now um, taking waste again. Mm. And unless um, there's some sort of changes to the laws or how we recycle, I think that's just going to continue to be a problem because um, the waste is is not being reused or recycled. Mm. It's just sitting there in the end. What changes do you think we need to see, Sheridan? Well, I think that... We have to see, there is some talk at the moment that we do need to be separating our waste. Mm -hmm. So we need um, various streams because the problem is commingled waste as we collect it. Mm -hmm. Um, It gets contaminated so it's not fit for purpose. Mm -hmm. And we also, I think, need um, legislation to, to make companies have to reuse and repurpose the waste that they create. Mm. Um, we seriously need a cash um, container deposit scheme mm. in Victoria and um, still our government um, resists that. Um, so and, unless we sort of start looking at an education program um, for everyone as to how we should be minimising waste mm. and reutilising the waste um, that we've got in a productive fashion and moving to a circular economy and stop using virgin products because mm. at the moment, like the glass recovery um, service, we've got glass stockpiles because A, it's contaminated, but B, because it's cheaper for people to bring um, glass in from overseas rather 
rather mm. than um, recycle and reuse um, existing materials. Mm. Yeah. So, um, and it just feeds into the problem and it, it's not going away. It's only as the population increases, so mm. does waste increase. So, um, really, we're just making a set pit for ourselves, mm. let alone we've got the incidences um, that come about this week with the um, West Footscray site um, with, you know, millions of litres of toxic waste sitting out there in the suburbs um, from virtually illegal um, rogue operators. Yeah, well, come, well, let's go there now. I was going to go to something else, but I'll come back to it. But let's, well, there you've raised the point. That report this week, it's taken them... That bush, that fire was, um, what, 15 months or so ago, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and yet it's taken them until now to actually clean it, or not clean it, but clean it up to the point where they can now say what's in, or they can't even say what's in there, but they say they've now got it cleaned up finally. And yet they still say they don't know what's in many of the barrels that are still on the site. I mean, it's pretty frightening, isn't it? It is, and it's... Um it's, it's like the, the um, sites that are um, around Camberfield and Epping where we've got um, the legal stockpile stored and um, the, there's millions of litres there and they don't know. And mm. with the West Footscray site, it, it just seems that it's, um, it's quite ridiculous that, um, you know, we've got media reports saying they failed to check the site for um, nearly a year and to ascertain what was in the the wreckage of the, the fire site and that now they find, um, you know, 10 million litres of potentially dangerous chemicals that, you know, they don't know what it is. And as far as we know, it's protected um, recently up, you know, just by temporary fencing and sandbags. Um, so it, it, it just seems, yeah, EPA and WorkSafe, you, you have to question... Um, what they're doing and how they're doing it because, um, that, you know, this, this, this shouldn't be happening. It, it, you know, I understand that if legal operators fly under the radar and um, this occurs, but um, the, the person linked to this site, I believe, um, he, he was also linked to Bradbury's. Um, he linked to some other sites and I think he was on their radar for some time and it just seems that they take so long to act on anything. And when they do, um, it's very weak, their action. Um, they're now saying that, um, that you know, they're going to force um, the property owner into cleaning up that site by August next year. But that's ridiculous. I mean, he's got 50 million litres sitting on a property up in Caniva. He's got 10 million litres here. We've got the... Um, I believe he's responsible for some of the sites around Camberfield. Um, if these people operate in such a way, how can you task them with the job of being responsible mm. for clean-up? And why should, you know, the community be put at risk for another almost 12 months mm. for this site to be cleaned up or any site to be cleaned up? And, you know, how is it going to be cleaned up? Um, mm. it, it just... It just seems it's a, a whole system that's imploding on itself. Um, well, I notice also that with the um, with that clean away SKM business, um, they got a ten million dollar grant from the well, grant loan of ultimately to Cordamenta, the um, 
the uh, people who were cleaning up the business, so to speak, um, to prepare it for sale. And CleanAway itself says it, it doesn't know when it would repay the uh, the loan. So they're also depending, as you say in this case as well, on government money uh, for what should be the responsibility of the people who own these bloody places. Well, that's it. It should be the responsibility of the duty holder. Yet we're seeing time and time again, um, like with the SKM, the liquidators were given $10 million loan from government to clean up the site. And mm. clean up was just... Um, taking it to landfill, mm. um, but that that again is is ridiculous. That taxpayers' money is being spent to clean up um, sites because people haven't operated properly. Or the other thing that happens is, you know, well they either declare bankruptcy or go into liquidation, or we get the you know like Storwell um, tyre site that was, you know, um, the company was handed over to a Panamanian internet company, so there's no one that you can really trace for the money. Mm. So it, it's just ridiculous that um, these funds are being expended. Um, and so how, how do you make these people comply? Because they've almost got to get out of jail cards, you know, get out of jail free cards, mm. because, you know, they can just walk away from these sites and shake their heads. I know new laws are being introduced next year, but um, and they have tightened up um, some of the areas, um, but it, it, you've got to see them applied. And there seems to be too many loopholes. Um, so th- th- that's the thing. Um, unless they come down hard and there's significant penalties and there's significant duty that's placed on these people mm. to be responsible, um, I just think the system will continue the way it's going. What are the new laws that you mentioned? Do you know? So they're bringing in, well, the laws are meant to come into effect July next year. Mm-hmm. So they're um, subordinate legislation and so the new laws regarding EPA, one of the aspects of it is um, the general environmental duty um, where, you know, everyone will be responsible for, um, you know, to the environment and for their, you know, how they deal with waste or how polluting the environment. But um, at the moment, there's, um, you know, consultation public can put submission in on the um, on the laws and we're looking at it. But we're, we're just a community group. We're made up of people from the community and these things are quite extensive and to mm-hmm. sort of to have the capacity to analyse them and see how effective they're going to be at mm-hmm. protecting us is, is really um, a hard task. You know, mm. people are, are working, got, you know, their jobs and they're doing this sort of um, campaign and activism in their own time and mm. with um, perhaps not the skills and the resources that, um, that you know, mm-hmm. the government departments have. Um, so we, we, we just have to sort of look at face value what they're saying. They're saying they're going to um, track waste so they, they won't have these problems, but I um, believe the tracking is more for high-risk waste, so there's still lots of other waste out there, and and there's always seems to be ways of circumventing um, the laws. I mean, we've had laws to date, but Mm. they haven't proved to be very effective, Mm. Um, and I think too much time is given, and too much power is given to the duty holders, you know, they issue compliance orders, um, 
for them to clean up sites or do things, but they just seem to ignore them. And EPA comes back and it, it just seems like a slap on the wrist with a wet hanky sort of yeah. thing. Well, the parliamentary inquiry into this industry, which is um, going to bring out its final report about now, I think, um, but in an interim report, um, it was pointed out that, um, for, for instance, the EPA warned many of these companies before they actually turned up. So um, when they turned up, the place was as clean as. I mean, that that just defeats the purpose, doesn't it? It, it does. Like, I understand that, like, um, probably some... It's like any inspections of um, industry, I suppose there is some forewarning um, at some times, but uh, what percentage is forewarnings and how many spot checks are happening? And... Um, so there needs to be a balance of, um, you know, every industry. There should be a lot more spot checks and random visits mm. um, to these sites because really they, they are, by giving them notice, they're just enabling them to, to clean up their practices and um, not only what they're doing in regards to pollution but often in the way that they're treating their workers as well. Mm. Um, so, and... This is, um, you know, this is the, the frustration. Like EPA, I have to say that EPA has been um, quite good in regards of how they've um, um, liaised with us as the Anti-Toxic Waste Alliance. They've, they've met with us on several occasions. They've attended a forum we've run. They've contacted us on, you know, regarding some of these incidences and sort of given us some information. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, I acknowledge that. And I do recognise that sometimes these departments are a bit hamstrung because they haven't got the resourcing and funding Mm -hmm. and that comes from government. And I think ultimately that's where the duty of care lies. Mm -hmm. You know, um, we've looked back through Hansards and we're going back to the 1980s where time and time again waste and... um, Recycling and all these things have been raised in Parliament, yet we, we've had no real policy and no legislation, and this is 30 years, and it's um, now we've got everyone scrambling to try and do something, mm. and pretty much a disaster happening. Mm. And um, But, yeah, years of inaction but from both political parties, but I, I think the weight has got to take a bigger... Um, bigger responsibility because over the last 30 years they've been in office nearly twice as long as the Liberal Party and what have they done? Mm. And even with the parliamentary inquiry, um, I I appeared before that and so did at work. um, You know, I I put an invite out to the panel to to come out to um, Coolaroo and have a look around the sites there at the inquiry and I also followed that up with an email and I had no response. And the thing is they're sitting in... Spring Street, and I don't think they really grasp the reality of what people are dealing with on a day-to-day basis um, and how stressful it is for a community to be effectively sitting um, in areas that um, are at risk and um, put Mm. them at risk and put their environment at risk. You Mm. look at Stony Creek, Stony Creek Mm. has just been ruined and... um, 
um, at Merlinston Creek the same that um, that was affected that um, flows into Jack Broker Reserve um, that's had E. coli in it and been deemed unsafe since the SKM fire and there was report again um, of black substance in the creek um, yesterday coming from somewhere in Coolaroo and that often the it comes from Mafra Street and that's the site of SKM and GRS and a number of other places and we had with Stony Creek the dye incident just a mm. month ago um, and these mm. things just seem to keep happening and it's always after the event that um, we've got people, you know, EPA or WorkSafe saying, oh, you know, we're on to it. Well, no, you're not. Mm. Also, the, um, the fire union came out this week after the report that they still don't know what's absolutely in that in that plant um, and talked about the health of its workers but this also has to you know clearly the effect of the health of the whole community comes into into play here yes well it does like um, and what people have got to understand that when you know if these places are up in fire it's not just the local community that's at risk it's everyone mm. you know it's airborne a fire plume can travel it can travel throughout the suburbs, throughout Melbourne. So it doesn't matter where you live, mm. you could be affected by one of these toxic fires. And, you know, so what health risk? You know, in years to come, who may be affected by cancer because of exposure mm. um, and or other illnesses? And it, it just seems ludicrous that we there's no real action from government mm. and that people... There's been a system that effectively has enabled people to to do the wrong thing, to to be the Leslie um, White of the society, a Graham Leslie White of the society that um, you know can illegally um, dump waste. You know the waste in Canaver. There's 50 million litres there mm. next to agricultural land. They've they've had to use high um, resolution. Um, drones that penetrate the earth to, to even try and see what's buried there. Yeah, and then they're saying, he's got to clean up the site. We've just come out of jail. And um, that's right. that was really? On a, that was on a firearms offence, wasn't it? But, yeah, um, that was the, on a the, um Just to people who don't know, Kanai was out in the middle of the Mallee, by the way. So, yeah. It's, um, yeah. It's, yeah. So, so we've got 50 million litres sitting out there. We've got 10 million litres at Tottenham. We've still got... Um, eight sites around the Camberfield Epping area that won't be cleaned till the middle of next year. We hope because the time frame for that just keeps being extended. And however, however many other sites that we don't even know about that are sitting out there. And um, mm. I, I, I don't know. It, it, it's just so frustrating. There will be a community meeting tomorrow um, regarding regarding West Footscray. It's at 7.30 at Rec West, I think it's called, in um, Essex Street, Footscray, um, regarding what's happening at right. that site. So what time's that, uh, Sheridan? 7.30. 7.30 tomorrow, so people out yep. there can get to that meeting. Okay, Essex mm. Street, Footscray. Yep. Mm. And also the Anti-Toxic Waste Alliance has a Facebook page, so um, there's information on there. Yep. But it's, it's almost like... Um, every day there's another report and another occurrence, but um, there's no real action. Um, yeah. 
with the, the um, incident on Friday at um, Glass Recovery Services, I had EPA officer ring me and say that it was a, not a fire as such, but um, a hot spot in the pile that um, created steam. But um, that's still problematic. That's been designated a catastrophic fire risk. Mm. Um, so, and it's effectively a giant glass compost pit. So it yeah. heats up. Mm. And so it's not only the money we pay to, um, you know, bail out someone like SKM with a $10 million loan, it's the re- the money that's been paid to monitor these sites. So they've got to keep monitoring these sites. There's the resources that's been used um, around Coolaroo, a lot of those sites. Um, if something happens, They've got to send out a minimum of, I think, five or six fire trucks and police. It might be just a minor thing, but because mm. of the history around that area, it, mm. it, it's just um, ridiculous that um, yep. so Look, many resources... Sadly, time's up, Sharon, and we've run out of it because um, we. this is also a class divide, of course, in the suburbs where these things are. I think that's mm. something else we should talk about. But, um, look, yes. thanks for your time today. Well, it's not going to go away. We'll talk to you again. But thanks for your time today, Sharon. You're most welcome. Thank right you here. so much. Thanks Thank very much. Bye. That was Sheridan Tate, who's part of the Anti-Toxic Waste Alliance out there, and uh, good luck to him and keep the struggle going. Absolutely. Something has to be done, so we need to push, put the pressure on the government to act. That's right. Yeah. And next week's program, we're walking back to happiness. <laughs> <laughs> we might get Helen Shapiro on next week.